Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the blank to my blank, Mr. Robert Lundgren. You didn't no, fill it out. I didn't. You know what? I think it fits the tracks for this episode. <laughs> oh my gosh. As always, we're going to get this crazy episode started with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on. And I will start this episode by saying I am so sorry it's been so long since our last episode. That is 100% on me. It has just been, it's been insanity uh, in terms of uh, parenting and and obligations with kids and stuff like that. I I am so ready for the slowdown of the holidays. Yeah, you took like extra time off and everything, you said. You didn't, you didn't introduce, you didn't introduce me, by the way. I'm taking three. (laughs) Hello, hello, Jonathan. Oh, or, <laughs> I got distracted by all the blanks. Anyway, Jonathan, let's get this show on the road the way we do, because I haven't updated this since the last time we almost recorded. So luckily, I found out what today is, Jonathan. Happy National Microwave Oven Day. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> Self-taught engineer Percy Spencer discovered a way to heat food safely with microwaves. While working with an active radar in 1945, he noticed a melting chocolate bar in his pocket. Well, that's scary. <laughs> the high-powered microwave beams created a heating effect ideal for cooking and spencer deliberately attempted cooking popcorn within the microwaves next to an egg both popcorn and egg created dramatic results however the popcorn resulted in success unlike the egg which exploded (laughs) nice so anyway so many other things i've tossed in my microwave yeah use your microwave today and then go on all over that social media and, and maybe even Twitter, if it's still there by the time this rolls around. Uh, and use that hashtag, hashtag Microwave Oven Day. You know, I, 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 no, I don't need the muskrats on us, so never mind. I'll pass, I'll pass. But just watching Twitter is, mm, mm. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Oh, are you talking about the Twitter implosion? Shh. No, I don't want muskrats on us. Oh, yeah. It's a, yeah. It's fascinating. I'll just say that. It's fascinating. I will say this. So, people have a really weird perception of what intelligence actually is. Dare I toot my own horn? I am incredibly intelligent, but I am not intelligent about anything that really does me any good. Because, like, I mean, I'm like every other nerd. I know a bunch of, like, movie quotes and, you know, trivia about film and outer space facts and whatnot, but I don't have the ability to apply to that in any sort of meaningful scientific field or anything that would get me praise. But that's kind of how being intelligent works. Just because you're smart about a thing doesn't mean you're smart about everything, you know? True. Very true. Like, like, you know, I'm, I'm sure had I realized I was going to say this out loud, I could have come up. I I vaguely recall hearing stories about, you know, Einstein being terrible at one thing or another and, Blah, blah, blah. But yes, yeah, just assuming that intelligent people are good at everything is a real bad plan. And I think I think RDJ like kind of summed it up best with, uh, you know, with Tony Stark, because Tony Stark was not smart when it came to interpersonal skills, relationships, both business and personal, self-destructive habits, whatnot. But he knew how to make weaponized, you know, metal suits good. That was that was what he was smart with. 
mostly. I will leave it at that. With with the adage, you know, just because someone's smart at one thing doesn't mean that they're smart in another. But then again, our society's set up like that because it's like, oh, well, you're obviously good at this one thing. We'll just make you a supervisor. And it's like, well, if you're a terrible supervisor, you'll just be a supervisor in that thing forever. And it's like, that's not good. <laughs> I'm sure you've had that at a job, though, where your manager is it was good at the job that you are currently doing, but they are not a good manager. Have you had that? Oh, yeah, that has happened to me over the years. It was National Cranberry Relish Day, if you want to go look that up, about when we almost recorded, but didn't quite work out. But let's move on. Let's move on to happier things. Fun. It's a very oddly specific day, that Cranberry Relish Day. Yeah, yeah. It means cranberry sauce. Like, that's what they totally mean, but they call it Cranberry Relish. And I've, I don't know if that's a regional thing, like, you know, bunny hugs and whatnot, or the bubbler, but I don't know. <laughs> you know, speaking of... Uh, of weird regional things. I don't know if I mentioned it. When Ray came out and visited this past summer, he brought some of the gastronomic delights of Pennsylvania out here. And uh, and he introduced me to something that I wish he hadn't because it's hard to get over here on the West Coast. Like you have to pay a lot of money for it, like a lot, a lot of money. Apparently in Pennsylvania, they have this thing called chipped beef and they use it to make gravy like like for, you know, like like what you do sausage gravy for, for uh, gravy and biscuits. And I'm not like a big sausage guy. I've never really liked sausage. Like I, I like a real, real, real good sausage. Like if you get a really, really high brow, like hoity-toity one, but like Jimmy Dean's or anything, I, I find wretched and vomitous. So, and he, he, he gave me some chipped beef and he's like, make, make some gravy out of this, Robert. And I made some gravy about it. And it like fracking changed my world. Like, oh my God, that was such good gravy. And, and I, I, I had it on biscuits and gravy and I was just like, oh, is this what people th- think? This is what normal people think sausage tastes like. Ooh, amazing. And, and I've been wanting to get this chip beef packet ever since. And like, I have, I'd have to order it from Amazon and I talked to Ray about it and it's like four times the price that he could just walk into a grocery store and get out there. And it pisses me off, man. It's an intense story. Man. I know. And, and then I went to Minnesota and I wanted to like, you know, find some regional cuisine out there. And I found like, like a chip company and there's like a a pizza company, but there wasn't anything really interesting out there besides like juicy Lucy's and whatnot. And I had really good tacos out in Minnesota, actually, oddly enough. I I went to the spam museum and ate spam. It was great. But yeah, I didn't, I, I as one does, you know what? I I didn't look where you'd find chip beef. So maybe I should have looked there for something weird, but although I found out about the term hot dish, which is just not a thing that was ever in my world. Hot dish is casserole, but they call it hot dish out that way. It's funny. Why do they have fancy names for everything? I don't think hot dish is a fancy name. It's not like French. It's not like the hot dish. Le hot dish. Hot dish. No, no, you got to do the hard dish. <laughs> the hot dish. Anyway, I'm buying Jonathan time to buy a microphone right now. So you got to rant. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I'll now take <laughs> questions from the audience. I think I just finished my order, but now I'm not seeing any kind of confirmation or email, which always makes me worry. You know, chip beef. I could have ranted about chip beef in a mini sode while we were gone. There you go. Should have written that down. Oh, well. Like, I just want to point out that I am trying to make all of our lives easier with this purchase because my setup has become problematic at best. Oh, there it is. Okay. Jonathan? I've got my order. Jonathan? Yes. Yes? Did some, some racist tweets of your audio setup? come out that it said back in the day and it's doubling down on them no i just think it's a soulless archaic piece of shit. i i shouldn't say that this this setup's been real good i i just realized the other day you know this thing's like eight years old oh yeah because you got it for the old podcast i did i did indeed 
And we've been at it for how many years now? Six. Yeah, so this is this setup's coming up on its eighth birthday, which probably explains why things are starting to go wrong. So I I'm retiring it. It's time to say goodbye. Hopefully this is the last episode that I use it in. Considering we've been going a month or more between episodes, it's the last one. No, that's not going to continue. I don't want it to continue. I'm going to make this happen. We're going to move forward. I'll just counter from the 1987 question mark epic Robocop. I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> All right, come on, come on, come on. Set our fans free. Let's talk about off the shelf. All right. Well, let's get into our off the shelf segment. That is, of course, our segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves and onto our tables or or different digital players and most importantly, into our hearts. And you're going to notice that considering how long it's been since our last episode, my list is a bit um, it's a bit anemic because I've just been really freaking busy. But that being said, let's just dive on in. What do you want to where do you want to start, my friend? Uh, let's start with movies, man. Let's get the, uh, let's get the, the beast out of the way. All right. Since you were giving me a hard time about it yesterday or the day before when I was, um, texting you about it, uh, I have now watched the Batman. That's my Heath Ledger clap. What'd you think? I really enjoyed it. I thought there was a lot to like there. Um, I was a little worried when I went into it because I saw the runtime and um, that's problematic at best in my house, but uh, it really earns this run runtime. Uh, it's it's just under three hours, but it earns it. Uh, it earns it in interesting ways and it doesn't feel like a three hour movie. There's some really nice camera work. There's some aspects of the Batman character that I really, really enjoy. I like that it's year two and he's not a good Batman yet. He's just kind of an okay Batman and he hasn't found his way yet. Uh, I really, really like that Batman is actually detecting things. He's being a detective in this film, which is not something we generally get to see in, in Batman films. He's usually just this superhero. Well, <clears throat> and detecting is like one of the ways that you can keep like Bruce in the story. Cause that's a big problem, especially like, like they reboot Batman and the first movie's good because it focuses on Batman. But then after that, it just becomes the villain show. And I mean, as much as I love The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight ha- certainly had that problem, too. Yeah, no, I hope they, they keep up with the, the Bruce piecing things together and trying to figure it out, because I, I did like that as well. I also like that they acknowledge that he has eye makeup around his eyes when he puts his helmet on. Yeah. Which yeah. <laughs> somehow magically disappeared on every other Batman. I also really liked the aesthetic of the film. It's got this weird kind of... There's aspects of the film that almost feel like it was shot in the 80s or 90s with all these like physical props and and a very physical lived in world. Like this movie doesn't really rely on CG uh, as much as as other films. Oh yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. You just didn't notice it. It it does, but in, in in what I mean is, it's like he's not driving around in these super futuristic vehicles that can you know do all this amazing stuff and you know have all these displays going on on the inside and crap like that you know instead what we're given is a very grounded uh design aesthetic where the the everything just has this kind of it's almost like star wars you know it's lived in it's used um and you get to see bruce's engineering side which i really enjoyed as well um you can see that he just enjoys working on on cars and stuff and just overall, I was just, 
I was really impressed, and this is by far the best usage of the Riddler I've ever seen in, in a Batman movie. What I really liked about the movie, what I thought really lent itself to that is they had a really interesting Gotham City, and a lot of it was because they filmed in London, like London, Glasgow, and uh, Glasgow, Necropolis, and Liverpool. I, I saw some some bridges from what looked like uh, some of the bridges in Chicago, but it looked like partially New York skyline. It's it's well, no, but they what they really did, spent what they did that was brilliant was they li- city. what they literally did was film on the streets of like Glasgow and London and stuff. So they filmed in these very, very old, <coughs> um, gothic, very places. gothic, like cities that have buildings that were, you know, built in like, you know, medieval times type thing. Right. And, and have that kind of architecture, but then they set extended them. And it's like, what if this like gothic, you know, three story city hall was actually like, you know, a 70 story skyscraper. And this is just the bottom floor. It gave the whole city this really weird vibe, but it was really, really it, it interesting. It reminds me of 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 the 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 Coruscant um, of the Star Wars novels, where the the bottoms of the buildings are really, really old, and they've just continued to build new stuff on top. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's an interesting juxtaposition of of the new and the wealth, which goes up, um, and you know the the old being completely, you know, seedy and, and, and grown over with crime. It's a, it's an interesting way of, of visualizing it. I had no complaints about the film. I really enjoyed it from start to finish. Like, and that, that is rare for me with a Batman movie. I usually get real nitpicky, but this one, I've just really, I genuinely enjoyed it. And I love that the, the first time we meet Batman, he is particularly unrestrained. <laughs> yeah. Like he doesn't just beat the guy up. He beats him, and then he goes back for more when he's already down on the ground and unconscious. Bruce has some anger issues, I've noticed, a few times. Yeah, it it was interesting. It was, I really liked the way they handled Catwoman. Um, I thought she was interesting. I enjoyed the plot. I enjoyed the twist. There was just, there was a lot to like, and there were some genuinely unsettling scenes at the end, given a lot of our more recent history. Yeah, it just, it really brought everything that I wanted out of a Batman movie to the table. It made it feel modern. And at the same time, it almost feels like the 70s throwback. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it helps that, like, the Batmobile clearly looks like a 70s muscle car, which is a nice touch. Yeah, no, that was cool. Um, I really actually enjoyed the Batmobile and how they they shot it and worked with it. Um, Yeah, I I just, I want to see this Batman again. I want to see more of this Batman. Yeah. And I also want to see... I want to see what this Batman learned from this experience with the Riddler, because this was by far his his biggest opponent in in, you know, based on the the mythology of this particular Batman. So how does that change him? How does that grow him? Yeah, no, it'll be interesting. And, you know, if you would have told me 20 years ago that the, the guy in the Twilight films would play a really good Batman, I would have called you a liar. But you know what? You know what, Robert Pattinson? You know what? I mean, I've seen a lot of his movies. I, I know he's turned it around since then. You know, he's not just like a pretty boy actor. He's he's a, actually a very, very talented actor. But man, man, he nailed that one. It was good. Yeah, he really did. He really did. I, it was when I first saw the announcement about him being cast, I, I thought it was kind of questionable, but it really just kind of paid off in the end. It really did come together. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was I was very pleasantly surprised by that film. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, they got the, uh, what's his face? The Guardians of the Galaxy guy. He's like in charge of the, the DCU now. So we'll see how that works out. 
Oh, who? Um, um, young? What? Not Young. Uh, no, the what's guy, his name? The guy, the guy who did like Peacemaker. What's his face? James? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've got a James Gunn. James Gunn. Yeah, yeah. Gunn. He's in charge Gunn. of the DC movie universe now. You know that? Oh no, I didn't. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. They just uh, that was about a couple weeks ago now. Well, let it. me tell you, after Peacemaker, that's a good solid move. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they they do because I know a lot of the upper management at Discovery Warner right now really wants to make a unified universe again. That's why they hired him. Well, no. they've they've got everything they need. They just need to they need to get the vibe right with each individual character, and they need to realize that the movies don't all have to have the same tonality. And and I I hope that's what they take away from Marvel because what's been interesting about Marvel is how they individualize every single movie to the to the character and where they are in that arc. And then when they come together, those movies have a unique flavor too, but they never lose the flavor of the character that they built up in their own individual movies. Yeah, and yeah. Well, that's why the Avengers worked because it's not like it, it was really an ensemble film. And I don't think any character in that took a, a, a leap forward, more like a small step, but they did take a step forward in all of their individual places in the, the MCU, which I found interesting. Yeah, and, and the characters evolve over time too. I mean, just think of Tony's uh, uh, voyage. Yeah. Like yeah. the Tony Stark that we see at the beginning of the first Iron Man and the, the Tony Stark that we see at the end of the, the second Avengers arc is those are two different people that have been through some stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. Anyway, we'll see how it pans out. But yeah, the, I hopefully they're still making Batman two, or the Batman two, whatever they want to call it. That's the universe I want to see DC explore. I, 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 I'm okay with them dropping the other stuff. I don't need the the acid trip that was Aquaman, but but you know what I mean. Like now now they've they've splintered and they've got stuff that is in the universe, stuff that isn't in the universe. They've, they've still got the Flash movie coming out, and like it's just this weird. Like, <laughs> I am I shocked that movie's was, coming out. I am shocked. How did that not get canceled when Batgirl got canceled? It's because they already filmed it. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, but they already filmed Batgirl. Batgirl wrapped. I know, I know. They even did the special effects. They completed it. It is 100% complete. I know. All right, anyway, we should move on. We should move on. We've been talking about this for a while. Uh, we, we all sat down as a family and we watched Top Gun Maverick. I have not watched that. How is it? It is a remarkable film. It was so much better than I ever thought it, ha- it could be. It was a whole lot better than it had the right to be. It handles a 1980s formula with care and respect but in a 2023 way does that make sense no but i'll have to watch it it's it's very respectful to the original film but it also drops all of those 80s over masculinized tropes i'll watch it and jonathan say no more i don't i don't don't want happen what happened with the green mile to happen here so just 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 drop it i'll watch it it's it's on my list okay i like i like top gun i'll watch the sequel i'll just wait for i'll wait to do it for free either at the library or on I'll Paramount tell you Plus. what, like, you know, the, the the guy that made this is the guy that made Oblivion and he really knows how to shoot like aircraft scenes. And oh, my gosh, like the cinematography in this film, if this film does not win an Oscar for cinematography, there is there is just no point in continuing. Like the camera work in this movie is just jaw dropping at all times. Just beautifully shot. OK. All right. I uh, finished working my way through Miss Marvel. It's lovely. Uh, excited to be jumping into She-Hulk eventually. And then um, the kids have been begging me to watch an anime with them. And they got me to watch the first couple of episodes of Demon Hunter. So I'm <laughs> two episodes into Demon Hunter. I, w- 
watched that. Oh, my daughter was obsessed with that show for a long time. Oh my God, they're obsessed with it too, which is why I said, okay, fine, I'll watch it with you. But <laughs> man, I mean, it's good. It's good anime. Like it, it, it's, there's some crazy stuff going on. Like at one point, there's this dude with little arms that grew out of the bottom of his head. It was cool. <laughs> I like how the anime wants to pretend it's like, it's so grounded and it's about the real world. And then you do a breathing technique and you shoot water out of your samurai sword like what happens, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it's it's lunacy. It's anime. Make, make no mistake. It, it's all the fun and all the, the perils of anime. Have you gotten to the episode? It, 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 happens, it. it happens pretty early on where they you meet the big bad. Like they, they run into him like full on, like the big bad. Have, have you gotten there yet? I don't think you have an episode two. No, no, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm, I th- I'm like in the third episode, I think. Okay. I think it's the like, fourth. I don't know. I think it's like the sixth or the seventh. It happened surprisingly quick where they, they just happen to run into the, the big bad. So that I, I, I'll tell you this much. I'm enjoying it enough that I'm going to continue watching it. And it, it, it's not so disconnected like so much anime is, you know, it, it's telling a, a, a story that I can kind of, I can follow along and I'm not missing these weird kind of uh, cultural elements that I'm not getting, you know, that, that, that so many anime suffer from. This one's much more relatable and easy to follow. Well, it, it's because it's the Star Trek discovery of, of anime. People run around a lot and they cry. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about it that way. I think you might have ruined the show for me. So, thanks for that. <laughs> so I got that going for me, which is nice. How about you? Movies and TV. All right. Let's let's shotgun down this list. A long time ago now, I watched everything everywhere all at once. Oh my God, it's an amazing film. You haven't seen it. Go watch it. It's amazing. It's it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. No joke. It's exquisite. The story it manages to tell and the way that it tells it and how patently absurd it is at the same time. Also, surprisingly, Jamie Lee Curtis is in that movie. I did not realize that when I went in. It I was, love her. It was delightful to see her. Uh, so watched the black and white Dracula and then we watched its sequel because oddly enough, everybody thinks Bella Lugosi is the iconic Dracula. He played him so many times and it's like, yeah, he played him three times and he didn't play. He, he played him once in Dracula, didn't play him again until the forties. But yes, the first sequel to Dracula is Dracula's daughter, which is essentially a rough retelling of Carmilla. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. You know, Dracula's daughter shows up. She's like, oh, can I be a real girl now that Dracula's dead? And she's like, no, no, I'm still a vampire. Kind of sucks. And then she goes to like, like, you know what? This movie would be really good for kind of like a weird remake because essentially what she does is she visits like a psychologist who try, she tries to get help to like stop her food addiction, like running with that concept with the modern day and imply, and adding in some like woo to try to, you know, have a vampire try to get over their blood addiction by, you know, it's like, well, just I, I got to learn breatherism or something. I don't know. There's something there. It'd be funny. Uh, I've been going through community again. I'm almost done with it, actually. Now, I forgot how culturally relevant that show was at the time, like uh, among people of our age group and who are nerds at that specific moment in time. Yeah, that was a pretty that's, show. it's also going to prevent it from aging gracefully, unfortunately. No, it, it ha- the first season is surprisingly like cringy with some of its humor. And then it's really weird seeing the transition to season two where they drop a lot of that. And it's weird. It's weird. Like things that were okay to joke about at the beginning of the show were not okay to joke about. I, I by feel like the that was also season. partially the, the show finding its soul, you know, like, like, like so many other shows it spends that first season kind of rambling around. And then it really figures out w- what it is. Uh, they released a new series of, uh, 
Unsolved Mysteries, which was delightful. Uh, I like the new method they did it. They instead of releasing one episode a week, they were releasing three, and they were kind of like a, a, a an unsolved mystery sandwich where they'd have two unsolved mysteries at either end, and in the middle they'd have one of their spoopy episodes. It was just it was just perfect to watch every week because the spoopy episodes were good, and uh, like they had one about uh, these park rangers at an Indian reservation who were investigating like Bigfoots and space aliens. It was awesome because it was so absurd. And then the the other spoopy episode was just, you know, UFO stuff. It was it was just good stuff. It was fun. I had a good time. And then the mysteries were good. It was a good time. All you could ever ask for from I an unsolved mystery. liked it. Uh, my daughter loves bad films, so we watched the worst, one of the worst films ever made. We sat down and watched in its entirety. Wow. Two. That is ballsy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She that had a good time. Movie we were talking at the time. level of, of, wow, what happened? Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And then we watched the Roku-only film, Weird, the Al Yankovic story. And, uh... Was it, it weird? Was, it was, was it, it weird? Was pretty good. I'm, I'm kidding. No, it was, well, it was, it was a spoof. Right, right. Like, it wanted to be kind of like a Naked Gun movie, and it, it kind of reached for heights it could never quite grasp on, although they do in a few parts. But yeah, it was, it was a pretty good, it was a pretty good spoof. It was a pretty good spoof. I I will, I will, yeah, I had a good time watching it. And the end, like, like it's the shame, like the last half hour, give or take, they actually figured out what kind of movie they wanted to be. But by then they, you know, it was kind of too late, but yeah, the first hour was kind of floundering a little bit. The la- oh, the last that half hour that of that movie. Daniel Radcliffe would become this kooky filmmaker. Like he's made some kooky little films, you know? <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Well, he just, <clears throat> I think he's like set for life. Yeah, he's, a, he's he, like Elijah know. Wood, man. He's doing what the hell he wants, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, it's like you were Harry Potter. Like, wh- what are you going to do? Like how he he clearly peaked back then. Like, what else can he do? He's like, I'm, I'll just do whatever the hell I want. What, whatever. I'm an independent film guy now. I'm the I'm the the the, the Swiss Army guy. Or whatever. Oh man, what a weird movie that was! Oh my God, what a freaking acid trip of a film that is. Last but not least, speaking of weird meta movies, uh, watch the unbearable weight of massive talent. If you don't remember, it's that's uh, the one with uh, uh, the Cage and Pedro Pascal, right? Yes, yes. I was gonna say Cage and the Mandalorian. I was trying to look up his name stealthily. Thank you for that. That, that, looks a, that looks very, really very good. good. That it's looks a, really good. Have you, have you seen the weird, like, Pedro Pascal and Oscar Isaac, um, they're having a daddy war? Like, who who's the most daddy of them? Oh, my gosh. Just look online. It's amazing. Just find it. Like, Pedro Pascal was asked about it, and he's like, well, you know, he, he was asked which of them was more daddy, and he said, well, to me, daddy's kind of a straight, you know, it's a, a state of mind. And he looks right at the camera, just completely breaks all fourth wall stuff, and just goes... I'm your daddy. And it's, damn, uh, you know what, Pedro, you are. I'm going to allow that. I'm going to 100% allow that you are. Uh, much like uh, the Al Yankovic story, uh, it's kind of the reverse, actually. The first first two acts of it are real good, and the, the third act is, is eh. But uh, that was actually what was nice about the weird Al Yankovic. It was weird, because it, the first two acts were kind of like, were kind of a mess, and then the last act actually pulled it all together. It stuck the landing, <laughs> which, is, which is something we routinely watch movies not do. So that's a good thing. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fun. And there you go. I, there's probably other stuff in there. That's I fine. Do not remember. We're, we're, we're doing this as a bit of a shotgun. So 
Should we move on to video games? Because we actually did one of those together. Yeah, go. Yeah, we played Ghostbusters, and it's awesome and fun, and I don't want to hear any more about it. Spirits Unleashed, very specifically. Yeah, yeah, Spirits Unleashed. What, what a lovely little treat of a game that is. Yeah, I. they keep saying they're going to release updates with new maps and stuff, and I'm like, I need. I, I could really use a new map at this point. Look, is it is it perfect? No. no. Is it lovely and delightful and, and very cognizant that it's a Ghostbusters game? Absolutely, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's about the same level. It's by the same guys who did like the Friday the 13th game and Predator Predator Hunting Grounds, I think it was called. So, you know, it's just got a Ghostbusters sort of, I don't want to say skin because it is a very Ghostbusters game, but it's it's that concept, but with Ghostbusters. If you liked either of those two games for what they were, you'll like Ghostbusters for what it is if you're into the Ghostbusters, I guess. Uh, because of that, I started playing Ghostbusters the video game, which... Uh, which the was old Saber Interactive one? Yeah. I never what a nice actually, segue. I have a Saber Interactive game on my list, too. I'll do that one next. Oh, uh, nice. So, yeah, I never played it before, and I keep reading Ghostbusters lore stuff, and it keeps coming up, and I keep having to skip those parts, and I'm tired of it, so I just need to I need to charge through it. Yeah, the game's interesting. It's It does a very good job of being a, like, a third movie to complete the trilogy, because it ties a lot of stuff together, which was a nice touch, like... Yeah, uh, that's, that's one of my favorite aspects about it. So, and then, you know, trying to figure out, is it actually canon? And the answer is probably not, which is a shame, but, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, with with the release of uh, Afterlife, I think Afterlife kind of breaks it in in terms of whether or not it can be canon. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's lovely canon for those of us who grew up with those films and never thought we were going to get another one. Because let's face it, back when this this game was released, like what, 10 years ago at this point, was it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there was no Ghostbusters on the horizon. They hadn't even started talking about the one that, that didn't work out well. All right, what's your Saber Interactive game? Um, I have been playing Dakar Rally, uh, which is, it's it's this interesting racing game. It's based on the Dakar um, uh, off-road rally, which uh, used are, to Are occur- you sure it's not a dad joke? Come no, on, it's, it's definitely not. Dakar, it's definitely not. Dakar Rally? Come yeah. on. <laughs> it is not. It is not. Um, but yeah, that's, it's a real famous race. Uh, it's been around for many, many years. And one of the things that's really interesting about it is everybody's racing on the, in, in this, the, the same kind of, it's not a track. You're literally going across a, across a country through desert. But, um, what's interesting is you've got five different types of vehicles out on the road at any given time, and you're seeing them all interact with each other in positive and negative ways. So you literally have people that are racing big rig trucks, like racing versions of big rig trucks. Uh, you've got motorcycles, ATVs, little dune buggies, and then your traditional kind of off-road trucks and cars. And it's an amazing race, uh, especially when you consider like that they're literally driving across hundreds of, of kilometers, uh, you know, of, of the roughest terrain on, on the planet. What's really interesting about this game is is after you level up enough, you can actually just open drive across the map. And it's just this giant map where they stage a bunch of, of rallies, but at any time you can just kind of drive off into the distance and it'll let you. It's fun. Um, and, it, it you know, it's not without its quirks in the handling model, um, but at the end of the day, it's a video game and I have to ask myself, am I having fun? And I'm like, yeah, I'm having a great time and I keep going back to it. So that's that's all I need from it. It's not a sim, though. It's not a sim. But yeah, that was uh, it. Was brought to us by Saber Interactive as well. So there you go. 
So again, uh, in in an attempt to to kind of connect with the kids, they have been really into anime and they wanted to uh, see an anime game. Uh, and one of them saw an ad for Persona Five, the the re-release that they did recently uh, for n- yeah, the, yeah. the newer consoles. So um, that was available on Game Pass, and I installed it, and we played through about the first two hours together. And uh, yeah, the the kids that I'm playing it with are really really enjoying it, and it's a Fun little RPG with a really neat art style. Like a really, really neat art style. And then I've talked about it before on the podcast, but uh, I've been playing some Generation Zero uh, with uh, with a good buddy of mine. And uh, that's been a, a real positive experience. Um, it's got a really great aesthetic. It's a, a like a deserted world. It's just, it's genuinely interesting. It's a really, really, really neat thing. Uh, and then on top of that, um, I tried uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Um, let's just say it's not for me. And uh, tried um, Overwatch 2, or as I like to call it, Overwatch 1.1. Positive podcast, Jonathan. I didn't say it was a bad change, but like calling it a full sequel seems like a stretch. It's not. Positive podcast, Jonathan. That's my response to you about that game. Yeah, it didn't really engage with me. I, I'll, I'm playing it because the, the kids want to play it. I'm, I'm not playing it for myself at this point. You got anything else? Oh, yeah, I got more. So I figured out how to play Stellaris, finally. Uh, Stellaris is not a 4X game. It's, it's a role-playing game. You just you, you make up a faction, and you just role-play them, and you have a fine time. And I actually beat my first game of Stellaris because I bought the Megacorp expansion, and the Megacorp expansion never sat well with me because I couldn't figure out how to, like, portray uh, a, a Megacorp that has, you know, territory in a galaxy and an armada. It just didn't seem right. And, you know, most of the giant megacorporations in fiction are not aspirational, shall we say? Like, you know, like, it's like, I want to be one of those guys that dicks everybody over in Whalen yutani Yeah. You know, it's like, eh, maybe not. I'm not, not feeling that. Um, but I finally thought up, a, I, I thought up a two mega corporations that I could play. One of them was, I was, uh, I was adding Star Wars races into the, the races that I've been making up for that game. And I was trying to figure out how to do the Jedi. And I figured out the Jedi should be like a freaking mega corporation. Cause one of the things you could do is you could open up offices on other worlds. And it's like, yeah, the Jedi opened up like a temple over here and a temple over there. And they don't have like a lot of territory. They're just, you know, they like playing with stuff. And I, I, that was fun. And then I actually beat my first game of Stellaris because I made the uh, the Aeon Trinity from the the role playing games I like, which is it, it's a mega corporation essentially, but they're like very very philanthropic and for reasons that are in the fluff and it doesn't really matter. So you know I was like oh I'm like this benevolent think tank corporation and I won that game and it was it was partly dumb luck because I just happened to be in a really good spot in the galaxy where I could be very friendly with my neighbors and they never attacked me. Um, I had a very good place to, to go tall, which was fun. I've never gone tall before. I was this mega corporation and, and I, I managed to make money hand over fist. And even though I came in seventh in that game, Jonathan, seventh, like nobody would have won because everybody I was friendly with, I bankrolled every freaking war they were in. You know, it's like somebody declared, like I, the, I had the Vulcans in that game and... I forget who attacked the Vulcans, but someone attacked the... Oh, it was the Klingons. The Klingons attacked the Vulcans. I'm like, no, the, the Vulcans are my friends. And so I would just start routinely trading them essentially billions of dollars to just finance their war. And they won. They, like, kicked their ass all of a sudden. And they were going to get their asses handed to them. I'm like, fuck 
at, you know, I'm like, I'm like a goddamn giant mega corporation. I'm making tons of money here, here, go, go win your war here. Here's money. Here's military aid. And, uh, yeah, that was fun. And, and nobody would have won that game. It was, I bankrolled the entire thing and I got seventh. It's not fair, but whatever, whatever. I, I actually beat my first game. I got the achievement for it, Jonathan. I feel proud. <laughs> and then I've been playing uh, Dragon Quest Builders again. Cause my boys like watching me build stuff in that game. And I've really just wanted a chill game where I don't have to stress. I just, you know, just play and fool around. And if I had two point campus, I'd be, I'd be doing that instead, but instead I have this, but yeah, just something, something just no, no stress. Don't have to worry about it. Just sort of just do your thing and have fun. It's been nice lately. It's been a little hectic. It's been a little hectic around here. You just want something to chill out on and sort of zone out. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. And I'm bummed because I just, you talking about Solaris made me remember that I've got the the board game on the way, and I just went and checked, and it's been like two months since the last time they updated. So, mm. I mean, they had production examples and stuff. I'm not worried about it at all. Um, no, yeah, just it's kinda, probably COVID messing with everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm like sure. I, I over a year late, I just got my physical copy of uh, Passion de los Passiones. Uh, which you sent me a picture of, and I'm totally stoked about, it, and I totally want to play it mm-hmm, as soon as mm-hmm. we get to the end of NBA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Should we segue into that then? <laughs> sure, that's as good a segue as any. Um, yes, uh, we have continued to play our Knights Black Agent. Yeah, I think uh, we played three times since the last podcast. Three or four, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've been, we've been bashing it out somehow. It's fun. We're not going to play this weekend, though, because uh, Ray is going to PAX Unplugged. Oh my god, for once, it's not my fault! I know, I know. You, We, we should play games. You should be the Ray, and we should play board games together. I'm down. Okay, I'm totally yeah. down. I yes. I think that's a lovely idea. I, I I support it and I embrace it and I will be there. Okay, there you go. So, um, so I don't I, want to talk too much about NBA because I don't want to spoil anything. But needless to say, like I really like the direct. The, the more we play it, the more I like this system. Like the the system is just really solid. It, it just fits the theme so well. There, there's nothing to spoil, man. The, the the adventure. Just just wait until you read the director's handbook after everything's said and done. Your mind will be blown. I have it sitting not too far from me. It's. it's I know. No, it don't touch it yet. Extre- but yeah. No, 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 no. I, I, I would. I don't want to ruin it for myself. But yeah, it's been very tempting. It just keeps on taunting me. So, so good. You've been enjoying the plot. Yes, very much so. Um, I really like the peril that you've been putting some of us in. Um, it's, it's been good, and I, it's got a good Mission Impossible, you know, kind of shtick to it, which I'm really enjoying. Hmm. 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 Didn't get my Lucy, unfortunately. Mm. Anyway, oh well. Oh well. Sorry. You did manage to save your, you manage to save your Not knees. sorry. No, it's okay. Um, but yeah, you, got, you guys met and killed Dracula. So that was nice. Wasn't that? Yeah, I feel like that. It's just no way it's going to be that easy. Jonathan, we're at, we're at part four of a six-part story and you already killed the bad guy. Like, it's, yeah. it's obviously over. No, it's all, please. Isn't, isn't, the third, isn't the third act like denouement? Doesn't that, isn't that how that works? No. <laughs> no, nor do I have a lot of trust for you after you've pulled the rug out from us a couple times. <laughs> you know what you did. Oh, I did. I did a lot, man. I did a lot. I I did a Dracula plan. I was I was happy about that. Did you guys get the sense that Dracula had time on his side and, and he, he had <laughs> worked very hard to mess with you guys for quite a while? Yep. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I was reminded of that one Blofeld line from the, the, what was it, Spectre? It was me, James. I am the architect of all your pain. 
Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Like the the first like uh, it's just kind of weird. The first three chapters or the first half of that story was was fairly supernatural free. I mean, not entirely, but yeah. And then all of a sudden, like just freaking out of nowhere, Dracula's like, "Oh, bitches, it's on." <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, uh, he's just up in your t shirt. I want a picture of Dracula that just says, Oh, bitches, it's on. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, I, 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 yeah, it legitimately felt that way. <laughs> like, he's just, he's just in your grill, like out of nowhere, it seems. And it's not out of nowhere. He's been, he's been, it's not, he's been pulling the strings the whole time. That's, yeah. 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 <laughs> and he played you guys like a fiddle. It was great. Ah. <laughs> uh. Shall we transition to reading or board games? Uh, let's go classic. We'll do reading and then board games. Okay. Uh, so how about books, Robert? What have you been reading? <laughs> so I finally encountered the Dracula book. I just couldn't, I couldn't get through. I just couldn't do it. It was called, uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, oh, I didn't write that one. Oh, I must have taken it off. Okay, well, uh, there was a book. So, so this is kind of fun stuff. So, uh, Bram Stoker back in the day had to secure the theater rights to Dracula, right? He, uh, he had to do it. And apparently back in the day, much like the Roger Corman epic that was the Fantastic Four movie, you just had to make something to secure those theater rights and make something he did. He made a play out of Dracula, the novel, uh, and performed it once and satisfied that requirement and secured those theater rights. <laughs> And somebody has given that to us in book form and I took it out of here, but that's what I'm talking about. And it was kind of hard to read because he literally took a manuscript of Dracula and with scissors cut sections out of it and then made that into a a play. You know, I, I admire, I admire the work that he did to, to secure his rights. Yeah. Yeah. But that is probably all you need to know about that story because it like starts with uh, Jonathan Harker standing on Dracula's doorstep, having a one and a half page di- uh, monologue about all the crap that has happened to him on his way to Dracula's castle. And he's talking to nobody Him talking to himself. It's like, first I was in Burstritz and that lady gave me a cross. How weird. And it's like, oh, oh God, this is just bad. So I couldn't do that. Uh, the other one I read was Drafts of Dracula. By Robert, wow, that has to be a, a autocorrect because I'm sure his last name is not 18, but Robert something, uh, Bizing and Elizabeth Miller, and basically somebody took the notes that he, the 117 pages of notes that Bram Stoker took and typed them out and got them out and and he had like shorthand that he invented himself, so they figured out what his code was and then uncoded it and then put annotations and whatnot into it. And uh, that was actually kind of an interesting read because, you know, it starts with, you know, like two dozen characters of which, you know, only like an eighth actually make it in the book and, you know, just all that. And just seeing kind of like someone's thought process as they put all this stuff together was kind of fascinating. And they did a good job of that. That was fun to read. And the essays in it were good. So I'd recommend that one. Drafts of Dracula. And I got that from, I believe, the Indiana Public Library System. So uh, interlibrary loans are a thing, my friends. Which is crazy because, man, like, how much does it cost to ship all that stuff? It costs your library a dollar. That's how much you have to pay for it because your library system sucks. And think about that, Jonathan. It co- it would cost you a dollar to get that book from wherever I got it from. 
And it's still a dollar to get that book from wherever I got it from. Your library can do that for you. That is why our library system is a fine, fine thing. And if you live in a place where it's actually funded and not a desolate, you know, hellscape like Texas, Texas. <clears throat> Which, of course, brings us to this episode's Fuck you, Greg Abbott. You <laughs> thought I forgot, but I didn't. Fuck you, Greg Abbott. Fuck you, Ted Cruz. And fuck the entire Texas Assembly. I'm good. Okay. But yes, if they fund your public library system, I just get that for free. It's wonderful. I've done like two dozen books that way. I only, I missed one because no library in America had it. So they's like, I can't get that free. Would you like me to get them to photocopy stuff and, and I could get you the photocopy? I'm like, not unless you can get the whole book, lady. Thanks though. I appreciate it. <clears throat> and then my PDF of Everyday Heroes came in. And Everyday Heroes is the kind of spiritual successor to what third edition Dungeons and Dragons was to D20 Modern. This is what fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons is to the same concept. It is a role-playing game that is meant to emulate action movies uh, using the fifth edition mechanics. And it is surprisingly good. I was very pleasantly surprised about how good it was actually. Well, that's awesome. My favorite bit, my favorite bit. So in the old system, uh, they had a thing called your wealth bonus. And so instead of having money, you just sort of had your wealth bonus. So if it was like, say, plus four, so it's like, I want to buy this new gun. Well, they didn't have like a price for the gun. They would just have a difficulty number. Say it was, I don't know, 12. Then you roll the D20, you add your plus four. Did you get 12? Okay, cool. You bought the gun. Boom. Bob's your uncle. There you go. Um, the new system simplifies that even further. You just have a wealth level and it's just like, if the it's one to six, and if your wealth level is like say three, anything that's wealth level three or below, you can just get. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. And I'm like, eh, there you go. <laughs> uh, that's good. And then, and then, and this is the this is the cool part. Uh, most of the weapon games are very very abstract, and so when you buy a gun, um, you can add. They have like a lot of tags on weapons and you can add a number of tags to any weapon you get equal to your wealth bonus. So the wealthier you are, the more fancy of a gun you have because it has like laser sights and sci-fi nonsense on it, I guess. And if you're dirt poor and have a one, then you've got a rusty old thing that may not fire very well. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I found this in an alley. It's cool. Yeah, it's 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 an elegant system to handle weaponry because, you know, it's just like, you know. You don't have to sit there and like stress about as a designer, like what's the difference between this gun and that gun or this melee weapon or that melee weapon. It's just, you know, boom. It's like you can just add bonuses to it based off of how, how rich you are, which seems all right. And, and, oh my God, the best part about that game, Jonathan, the absolute best part is they have this weird, awesome focus on what they call improvised weapons. And an improvised weapon is just anything you can pick up and you use it once to attack somebody and it breaks. And an improvised weapon could be, you know, a pool noodle, a, a pool noodle, uh, a table or a table leg, uh, you know, a pool cue or, you know, a person. You could just throw a person at somebody because <laughs> that's technically an improvised weapon. You just pick someone up and Does throw the them person into. break after you throw them. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. You, <laughs> according to the rules, they cannot be used again to do that because they are so broken. So there you go. You know, it's like I baned a fool on another bane. You know, that's that's how you do it. I don't know. It's 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 a very clever game, and uh, it's uh, I am I am now I've gone from I think I want to do the thing to I definitely want to do the thing where I do a quick and dirty conversion and pull it back to the 1930s and run a you know universal uh, monster verse you know old school black and white curse of Strahd <laughs> set in the 1930s. 
and uh, yeah, and just kind of lean into universal monster tropes. And instead of using D&D rules, use those rules. And so you go fight Dracula doing that. Or not Dracula, Strahd, Dude, I you, say. Dude, you throw in an airship in there and maybe a little bit of steampunk gear and I'm there. Oh, oh, I got one better for you, Jonathan. I got one better for you. So Dracula, the original movie, came out in 1931. And it's set, because I decided... Uh, it would be set in, in a, a Sigia, I can't remember the country's name. It was a country that was in uh, southern Austria, northern, I forget the other country. It was, uh, yeah, it was called, it was called uh, Sigia. Sigia? I can't remember now. Anyway, um, but that was where Carmilla and that was where Dracula were originally set before Bram Stoker moved it to Transylvania. So I'm like, oh, it's fitting. Carmilla is one of the earlier vampire stories. There you go. It'll be, it'll be in that area, you know, southern Austria, essentially. And I'm like, you know what? You know, it was in kind of, I don't know, Central Europe in the 1930s. Also, you could punch Nazis. Oh, I approve. So, yeah, yeah. And now my buddy is like saying, it's like, oh, my God, you got to lean in that, Robert. I want to punch Nazi vampires. Can you please let me punch Nazi vampires? I'm like, I don't know if I want to lean full into Nazi vampires, but I, I, I will I will I will agree to lean into you at least get get the ability to punch Nazis at some point. I will I will allow that. Like, you, you yeah, I'm there. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I, I don't care if I have to sell my children to make the time. I'm there. <laughs> I still want to run that cyberpunk game first, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to wait a little bit. They're, they're coming out with a, a book that has a bunch of optional rules and stuff uh, later next year because several of the classes uh, will not work in the 1930s because, like, uh, you know, they have hackers. <laughs> and it's like, it's, no. That's awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and they have one called The Engineer where you get, like, a pet robot. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of pushing it. So I, I think I'd cut that one, too. So, yeah. I mean, there's been plenty of good steampunk robots. Yeah, but I... I there, there wasn't a lot of steampunk in the old Universal movies. I like, I really want to channel that vibe of just like an old, an old black and white film. You know, like try to play it straight instead of playing it with with cross genre. Also, it was fun. I started. I, I got the idea in my head to replace Dracula's castle in the uh, matte painting from Dracula uh, with the with an accurate depiction of uh, Castle Ravenloft, which I can get really easy photos of because I made it in Dragon Quest Builders. So I just took some screenshots and traced it. It was lovely. Thank you, Robert. So I've been making that and I, you know, I, I'm like, oh, I'm going to convert this to black and white. I don't have to paint it in black and white. I just paint it in color. And then one of the tricks they used to use in black and white is you'd have really highly contrasting colors next to each other because it, when you turn it black and white, it still somehow holds up. So because I painted my mountains and the forests around the castle blue and green, I'm like, okay, well, you know, Castle Ravenloft's going to have to have a kind of a red hue. And I was painting it earlier today and I was getting really discouraged because it looked really goofy because the castle was very kind of like maroon and, and lightly purple or dark purple. And it was, it was looking pretty goofy. And I, I, I was thinking about giving up on it, but then I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I, I, took the picture and then I converted it to black and white with like, you know, like a Instagram filter or whatever. And it looked baller. It looked real good. I'm like, Oh, okay. We're going to keep going with this. We're going to keep going with this. So if I get it done, maybe it'll be the art for this episode. And if not, uh, I'll, I'll post it somewhere soon. I'm sure. Yeah, but yeah, It's funny that you talk about black and white because I think I sent you a text that I thought that Batman movie should be re-released in black and white. Kind of like, they yeah, did it'd with, be fun uh, to watch. Yeah. Kind of like they watch. did with Logan. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun to watch. I Cause agree. it worked. Oh my God, that movie would be beautiful in black and white. Sorry, I agree. completely off topic, but it's same thing, kind of. Yeah, Logan's last act scene, like the finale, didn't work in black and white because the forest kind of got weirdly washed out. But other than that, yeah, but the rest of the movie worked phenomenally. And I don't yeah, think, because it's all cityscapes, I don't think the Batman would suffer from that. No, I, don't, I, I completely agree. It'd be red. 
that uh, that was that was my that was my TED talk, I guess. So now are board we games. at uh, what? Board oh, games. board games. All right, board games. No, we haven't talked about books yet. Uh, oh, we haven't talked about your books. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, We're it's okay. My... Go on, go on. I, well, I'm done. For me, not a ton. Um, I did finish the third book in the Dresden series, Grave Peril, um, and then I started now. I'd say about uh, just shy of halfway through. I am on book three of the First Law trilogy that Ray turned me on to, um, and it's The Last Argument of Kings. And wow, like, I, I even, Ray and I were talking over text, and I, I told him flat out, I'm like, I can't believe how well designed these books are. Like, it's very clear that the person that wrote them sat down and had everything all planned out with all the connections made. Because there's stuff that happens in in both of the first two books that all of a sudden like comes to fruition in book three in ways that you never even you thought it was just like a throwaway thing, but it's always been there. It's always been just on the edge of your sight. It's it's awesome. I might have to read that. It reminds me yeah. of how I felt about Babylon Five. And you should you know. read the you should read the trilogy. I I the first one. And you don't realize just by how design it is, by design it is until you get into the the about you know, a quarter of the way through the second book. But the, the first one is a little bit of a slow burn at first, but it's because it's just doing so much important construction. And yeah, you just, it, all three books, they kind of follow the same path of, of slow burn. And then there's no, really no medium burn. You go from slow burn to, oh my God, everything's on fire. Uh, when And you don't know how you got there. It's it's so cool. Like the, the, these books are really, they're really great. And they're really well so, written. So much like a real fire. Everything seems fine. Everything seems fine. And yeah. oh, oh, my God, oh my God, oh my God, we're going to die. Out whenever we, why is the whole block on fire? Sounds correct. Uh, and yeah, that's that's it for reading for me. So should we go to board games? Okay, okay. I, I, sorry, I thought of, uh, I thought of something else about, uh, uh, about everyday heroes I loved. Uh, the improvised weapons table is amazing. And it, and, and it, it, it very much sums up the way the book in general is written, which makes it kind of a pleasure to read. Uh, so the improvised weapons table on page 151 of the book, at least for now, who knows what it'll be when it's actually in print. So starting from the top, improvised weapon, chainsaw, properties, you know, whatever. Then they have object, breakable. It's like, okay, you know, D6 bludgeoning, makes sense. Object, unbreakable. D8 bludgeoning. It's like, oh, okay. Object, scary, dangerous, D12 slashing or piercing, thing, tiny, ouchy, <laughs> thing, small, painful, things, medium, hurtful, and thing, large, agonizing. It's like object unbreakable. This category of objects, when adjacent to you or and your opponent, hurt to smash into and probably won't break. Examples include a marble countertop, a steel railing, a brick wall, or a flagpole. That, that makes me that makes me want like another class of attack where an unbreakable object can be shattered because the attack is so vicious. Like oh, a comic yeah, not, book attack, you know, <laughs> like punch no, that through the marble wall. Uh, there, there's a brawler class and a lot of their stuff keys off of, of, of those things. Y- you would like it. <laughs> oh, here we go. Tiny ouchie throwing a metal D 20 or stabbing with a sharpened toothbrush. <laughs> Small, painful things, stabbing with a knitting needle or cutting with a bread knife, medium, hurtful things, slamming with a printer or slicing with a sod cutter and large agonizing thing. Slashing with a scythe, stabbing with a flagpole, or beating some poor fool with an exercise bicycle. <laughs> it literally says some poor fool? Yes. <laughs> oh, God. I love this book. <laughs> anyway, sorry, sorry. All right, board games, board games, board games. 
Uh, well, you and I played some Welcome To, and now we're playing some Seven Wonders, and I'm also trying continuing to play that, that Targi game. I think I talked about it on the last episode, right? I don't recall. It's been so long. Okay, well, I'm playing a game um, that Brendan's getting me uh, turned on to, which is called Targi, and it's I'm still putting it all together. I need to explore it more. I, part of the problem is that this first playthrough is just taking forever because... You know, we're both busy and we don't get a chance to make moves right away. Um, and there's some aspects of it that I'm still a little hazy on. I just, this is one of those that I really need to get into like tabletop simulator or actually on a table and really kind of figure out the intricacies, you know? Beyond that, uh, the kids wanted to play some King of Tokyo, so we did. Because uh, how do you not just love a little bit of dice chucking? Um, and then, like I mentioned earlier, really been kind of working hard on Chudvang Legends to, to get it prepped for a review. Uh, and then finally, uh, got managed to get my big old box of Foundations of Rome out, and I played it with uh, with the kids, and it, there was some good stuff going on. I actually played a game, Jonathan. I see that. Tell me more. Yeah, yeah one of the one of the days you couldn't play uh, Knights Black Agents, uh, Ray and the wife and I, we played a game called Burgle Bros. Which I've uh, heard very good things about, and I have the app version of, but I've never had a chance to learn it. Ray, being the gourmet that he is, picked it out because uh, Gina says she likes cooperative games. And so he went and found one that he thought she'd like. And uh, he also, because we're playing Knights Black Agents, he knows that she's a fan of like the heists and the spies and stuff. So, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're basically doing a heist. You're trying to steal, you know, goobers. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It, it, it's basically a randomly generated building. You know, it's got three floors. You move up around. You're trying not to get caught by the guards. It's, uh, we lost all of the games. One of them was really close. I managed to get away with two of the three treasures. So I consider it that I won that game, you know, unless they really wanted that third treasure, in which case they're going to kill me for not getting it. But whatever, you know, I still walked out of there with like the expensive stuff, which was nice. But yeah, it was, it was a very, very pleasant game. Very, very intricate and, and good table talk. Cause you got to like plan your moves. And a lot of times, like, it almost comes, I don't want to say luck of the draw, but there's, there, there's a lot of element of chance that it's just sort of like, you know, sometimes choices come up basically six of one, half dozen of the other, and you got to like, just figure it out. It's like, let me, you know, let me which, ask you, is this something we're going to have to explore on Sunday since we now have an official gaming date? Yeah. Yeah. It was on board game arena. The interface for it was, was okay. Then I'm um, down. Let's dive in. I'm going to find okay. out about it Sunday and we'll talk about it on the next step. There you go. All right. We'll have to see if I remember how to play it. <laughs> uh, so that's it for board games, right? Yeah, I think I think we're done. We oh, are I done. Got, I got an other. I got an other. Oh, you got oh, another. I art. I I have become a real big boy artist, Jonathan. So so randomly on the Reddit's, uh, somebody saw a bunch of the paintings I did back in the day for Impossible Landscapes and wanted me to do a painting for them. So I started getting that together and they offered to pay me and I made a PayPal like a big boy because I, I didn't actually have a pay PayPal account before this. Uh, I just borrowed my wife's. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I was like, oh, maybe I'll start taking commissions. Maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do that. Got everything together and uh, the guy ghosted me. Just stop talking to me after I got about halfway done. And you know what? You know what? It was beautiful, Jonathan. I am a real artist. Somebody tried to get free work out of me. I think that makes me a real artist. No, I, hey man, artist <laughs> is whoever makes art. Like, no, don't let anybody take that from you. But No, uh, no, 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 yeah. no. But, but, but I got my experience of like somebody tried to, tried to, <laughs> tried to cheap out that on me. That didn't take like, long. <laughs> <laughs> There's something kind of 
kind of beautiful in that. I'm, I'm choosing to, to view it as a positive experience in my life. I get to check off that box right there. It's like, yeah. I think even that's if I ne- fair. I can see you there. Yeah. Even if I never do anything else again, I still got that. You can't take that away from me. I, I, someone tried to scam me out of my art. That, that's that every, yeah, I'm a real artist. Can't take that. <laughs> You've always been an artist with my heart. Yeah. Well, I'll put, I'll put some form of art on this episode because we don't have a review later. So we I'll do that. I'll grace you with my art of some sort. I don't know what yet. We'll find uh, All right. Uh, well, I guess that brings us to the end of the, uh, the end of the segment. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the segment, which means it is break time. And when we turn from break, it'll be time for our wisdom of crowds. We'll see you in a moment. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back for the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowds. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. I guess I'll kick this sucker off. Ravensburger and GameFound are looking for their next big family game. Uh, Ravensburger is collaborating with the GameFound crowdfunding platform, and they are looking for their next Castles of Burgundy, their next Quest of uh, for El Dorado, their next Puerto Rico and they want to pull the design from, from GameFound, which is awesome. They're looking for family games targeting ages uh, 7 and up. They are looking for a max playtime of 60 minutes. They started in mid-November, and they're going to have a jury that uh, will be asked to, to... You have to set a prototype to this jury, and they will pick the, the best three titles from everything that they receive. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, they're, they're looking to the crowd to get the next big thing, which I think is awesome. I think that's really just a super neat way of doing things. Sounds like good stuff. Yes. So, um, entries were accepted starting online on November 15th. Uh, they are looking to have this wrapped up in June of next year. And, uh, yeah, if you want to know more, just go to Ravensburger's, uh, website and they have lots and lots of information. All right, Jonathan. Well, Guillotine Press, which is Simon's RPG imprint, has announced Assassin's Creed, the tabletop RPG, coming soon? I haven't found a date. Coming when it pre-order next year. So 2023. There you go. That's a date. The guy who's running it, Francisco Napoleto, has said, quote, bringing Assassin's Creed to tabletop RPG is an exciting challenge with near endless potential. The video game's highly original premise, combining modern day reality with period adventures, offers such an incredible opportunity for us to bring players a variety of gameplay that is unprecedented in most RPGs. And yes, you will be both playing your descendants and your modern people, which, you know, I've played a few of the Assassin's Creed games and like, while I'm intrigued with the stuff that goes on in the modern day, because the world building there is kind of like weird and vague and I don't know what's going on, but it's all near future and kind of dystopian and, and cool. Uh, they're never able to really get that half of the gameplay right. And they've kind of shoved it down. No, they really don't. Right. Yeah. Like it, it's so weird how they can nail the period stuff and just completely miss on the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I don't know, maybe the tabletop RPG space is the better place to explore that. Because I have I have even heard, dare I say, that Assassin's Creed is actually a cyberpunk game because of that. So I don't know. We will see how it turns out. All right. So here's a quick one, Robert. Uh, we got a little bit more detail on the release of Legendary Encounters The Matrix. As it was announced at Gen Con last, or I guess that would be this year still, um, we now have a little bit of additional information we know that there's going to be uh, playable characters in Neo, Morpheus, Trinity, Niobe, Agent Smith, the Merovingian, Twins, and the Sentinels, which makes me suspect that they're going to do something similar to what they did in uh, Alien, where you could actually take the, the alien role in the, in the game. So, um, yeah, they're uh, targeting a spring of next year release. And it will be joining the uh, the pantheons of Alien, Predator, Firefly, and X-Files as the newest property be- to be given to the Legendary Encounters experience. And it is being aimed, just like uh, the previous games, as a co-op take, uh, as you take on the villains from the Matrix trilogy. Uh, but they're also uh, putting some playability in the villains uh, for those who want to play four-on-one, which is kind of similar to what they did in Alien uh, in the original build. And then they, they gave you even more villain playability in the alien expansion where you got to play as the queen and stuff and uh yeah it's super awesome like i'm really looking forward to it and i I think that's going to be great uh they haven't mentioned if the fourth film will be included they have so far only talked about the trilogy the core trilogy uh which makes me think maybe they're planning the fourth film as an expansion but that is purely speculative Next up, way back in 2011, Z-Man Games, uh, in their infancy, released a game called Tragedy Looper. Have you ever heard of it? No. So it was actually from Japan. It was known as Ito Shin Ito, and I probably mispronounced that, so I apologize. My Japanese is pretty non-existent. Um, and it was a one-versus-many deduction game with a time travel component and I, I played it many many years ago don't don't ask me any details i don't remember it's literally been um probably 12 maybe 11 years since the last time i played it so i played it right when it first came out the game was a huge hit in japan and they had released a bunch of additional material uh in, to support the the core game uh most of which had not been brought out in the u.s so yeah, it seems that Zev has uh, pulled yet another title, a uh, former t- Z-Man title from the Annals of Obscurity, and brought it forward again so that we can enjoy it again. They have announced that they will be releasing Tragedy Looper New Tragedies. This is a standalone box coming in 2023. It will both contain the core game that was originally released, as well as um, a bunch of new scripts, a bunch of new characters, a two-scenario tutorial mode, and a bunch of additional content that had previously only been released in Japan, and they are scheduling that in March of 2023. Uh, More information will be available at WizKids' uh, website. So, it is a weird time, Jonathan. Like, the coronavirus is over, question mark? No. Yeah. Yeah, but people are certainly treating it that way. So, Hasbro announced... Total Q3 gaming sales, including all brands, both tabletop and digital games, were down 23% compared to last year. And this is including Wizards of the Coast, where their digital gaming segment fell by 16%. Uh, Their tabletop revenues were down 9%. 
And there's another 37%. And I'm like, you just said digital sales were down 16. Now it's 37. I don't know what's going on with this article. But yeah, tabletop, that includes D&D. This is the first time we, D&D has had a slide since 5th edition came out, as far as I know. It's, it's only been up since then. Now, given the, the earlier sales of earlier in the year uh, mean that uh, D&D sales and whatnot are still up 5% overall for the year, but uh, an interesting trend. And it makes me think uh, Hasbro or Wizards definitely knew something that we didn't because I was thinking, like, why do you come out with a new edition of D&D unless you need people to buy the player's handbooks again because you need that Skrilla? And I'm like, I thought they were making money hand over fist. And here we are. Uh, their f- first, their first loss in in the Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast has been the thing that's been like holding everything else up for for years, for years, and now now they're down. It's it's crazy. It's well, crazy. I'm, but they're down, but they're not like down, down, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't worry about that. I mean, I think with the world opening back up, we've seen contraction in several markets. Yeah, yeah, no, many I, of them gaming related. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Video and, games but, I know but, are down, and and. Yeah. Apparently that apparently that's what Meta's problem was. It wasn't that the metaverse sucked. It was uh it was the the pandemic stuff. Well, we shall see. We shall see. Only time will tell. Um but yeah, the good timing on the new release, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we will see how that pans out. Over to you, Jonathan. All right, two last stories. Uh, this one's awesome. Uh, it totally makes me happy, and I'm fully planning on buying this for uh, my my kids. Underdog Games has released a new game. Uh, it is designed by Emerson Matsuichi, uh, who you know from games like um, Foundations of Rome and, and Century, and I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, Danielle Reynolds and Nick Bentley with artwork from Eunice Adele and Christina Aguirre, and it is called Her Story. And this is uh, a game where you take the role of authors writing books about significant and remarkable women in history. You do research, you write drafts, uh, you complete chapters, and that, in turn, uh, gains you points as the game progresses. So it's a bit of an engine-building game with a set collection element, and the cards that you get throughout the game uh, are combinable uh, to get you basically multipliers and tons of points at the end of the game. There's uh, over 120 fully illustrated cards, and the, the, the illustrations are, are gorgeous. I'm looking at some of the, the art right now. And uh, yeah, her story, uh, two to five players, 30 to 60 minutes, and ages eight and over, and apparently is available any minute now. And then finally, my last story, just something a little fluffier. Smash Up has a new anniversary and anniversary edition coming out. Smash Up by Paul Peterson was, believe it or not, released in 2012. So it's been 10 years of Smash Up. The original set came with eight factions, including pirates, zombies, and dinosaurs. However, with all of the stuff that's been released for the game over time... We're now looking at more than 20 expansions and God only knows how many promos. Jonathan, There's apparently over 100 factions available Jonathan, now. Yeah. I want to say we talked about this last time. Is one of the factions like, like, I forget, I, it seems very familiar. It's been a long time, but it seems very well, familiar. Cut it, cut it if you need to. I'm not going to cut it. It makes you look like an idiot and that's always good radio. Ah, that's fair. People, people hear, like hearing that. that. People like hearing me rib you. It's part of, it's so, part of the charm. 
It's uh, the the 10th anniversary set comes with four new factions, Sheep, Mermaids, Skeletons, and World Champs, uh, as well as a bunch of new Titan cards, new bases, and more. Uh, The 10th anniversary should be available reasonably soon. Wizard of the Coast has announced that yet another edition of the Tyranny of Dragons adventure is coming out uh, early next year sometime. They have not said exactly when, but yes, and it's it's a... newly enhanced, revised, whatever you want to call it. So this is now the third time that that adventure has been reprinted. It came out originally as uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen and Tyranny... The, the sequel adventure, whatever it was. And then they released it as one big book later, and now they're releasing the big book again. And it's revised again, so maybe it's revised for D&D 1? Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? But yeah. I don't know. But if you haven't bought that adventure, I like it. I, I liked it then. I like it now. It has some very not not great D and D moments because they expect you to sneak around and not just go murder stuff. They expect you to realize that you will get killed if you do certain things, which you know isn't always the case in D and D. It's kind of a weird headspace to be in, but who cares? I thought it was fun. Oh, I mean, as long as it's fun, that's all that matters, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Is that the news, my friend? That is the news, my friend. All right, rolling right along. It is now time. Once again, for part 21 in our 43-part series, A King in All Things, where we are watching the Stephen King movies based on novels and novellas in order of release date, along with the occasional extra. Although this is not one of the extras, this is definitely a film in the series. We have our 20th film, Stephen King film, 1999's The Green Mile, directed by Frank, I really like to uppercut Jonathan in the fields, Darabont. Made for a budget of $60 million. It made $286 million. I had not seen it before. And I think, Jonathan, I think my viewing experience was tempered by the fact that I've heard for years it was, like, as good as Shawshank Redemption. And and I was expecting to go in and, like, and have all the cries and stuff. And and it 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 didn't hit me. I have to say, I've heard too much oh, about really? this film. Oh really? God! Every damn time with this movie, it's 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 like an ex- it, it. You know what? It, it's like when you go to Disneyland, you get the fast pass, and you just get straight to the tears with me. Yeah, yeah. No, I did not. Not saying it wasn't good. I, I had a good time. Um, but I I realized as I was watching it, I've learned most of the plot of the film via osmosis. So yeah, but that that's not fair to the movie. I'm not that's, saying it is. I'm not saying yeah. it is. I'm just saying. You know what? It's it's your fault and it's everybody else's fault. We saw it the first time around. It was too big. It was too big. I, I I just sort of absorbed too much of it without actually having seen it, which is unfortunate. I'll, I'll say this before we dive in: Is it as good as the Shawshank Redemption? No. No. Is it really really good? Yes. But I, I noticed something. This is the first time I've probably seen it in quite some time. Um, I noticed something. This this viewing of it. There's a certain magical element the Shawshank Redemption doesn't have that to me almost gives this an ever so slightly cartoony feel. Does that make sense? Yeah. And unfortunately the magic in question, it also fits with a trope. That's not great. It's a TV trope for a reason. It's yeah. But I mean, what did, what did you think as a first time watcher? Cause this is, this is unique. Like most of the movies on this list, we've all seen at one time or another. No, like I said, I I was surprised how much I knew of like I I couldn't tell if I was just really smart and knew where the story was going at first, but then it just kind of dawned on me. I've I've just heard so much about this movie. Like I I know a lot of these plot points. I thought it was fun that the guy from the X-Files who played Tombs, the you know, the body morphing 
dude it plays the evil guard in this one it was nice to see that guy get some work i yeah like I, I was watching for a while i'm like why do i hate that guy why am i like so viscerally creeped out by him every time he's on screen and then it, it occurred to me he was tombs from x-files and i half expected him to like vomit up you know stuff and make a newspaper nest or at some point you know like i'm gonna find that mouse and i'm gonna make a newspaper nest out of his skin or you know whatever you know that guy's kind of creepy in real life too yeah, I did not know you that. You ever seen interviews? No, no, I've not. Yeah, there's some creepy factors there, man. Like, I don't know if you want to go into it, but what was that? He he married some girl that was like so freaking young. Hold on. I don't know. At one point, he was married to somebody who was like 17 or 18 when they met. And it was, he was already in his 50s. And it was just creepy and weird. He's just a weird dude. But I, I mean, the story was good. It was fun. Uh, you're right. It, it has a little magic in it, which I, I think kind of it takes away from its realism. And it was kind of trying to be real and gritty. And then it just had this like, like, you know. Yeah, I, you know. I ended up getting stuck on it because it, it, it felt like it didn't know what it wanted to be anymore. Yeah. And and it was weird because I don't remember having I, I never, never that never bugged me before. And for some reason now as an older person, it just it, it didn't. It wasn't quite right. I don't know how else to put it. But yeah, good. It's good got some amazing performances. True, true. It was nice seeing um, uh, David Morse. I've seen him play a lot of bad guys, so it was nice to see him play kind of like you know, prison cop with a heart of gold. I guess, for lack of a better term, because like I, I really associate him with what role? Shoot, I, I just always assume he's a bad guy because I see him in this one thing all the time. It was like a t- I want to say it was a TV show, but anyway, I don't remember. Wow, he was in Friday the Thirteenth the series. He wrote and directed an episode of Friday the Thirteenth the series. Wow, good on good on you, David Morris. There you go. <laughs> it, it, man, I'm so conflicted because there's a lot to like here. Agreed. But you're you're very right to call out that a lot of stuff is based on a really not great trope. Racial connotations handle- aside overused, <laughs> very yeah. overused. Now, given was it overused back in '99? I don't know. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely a thing now. Definitely a thing that now when people point it out to you, you go like, oh yeah, oh. <laughs> hmm. But I, I will say this. I, I think it handled a lot of things very, very well. I, I think it, it showcases that one of the things that Frank Darabont does so well, which is to not just set a stage and set characters up, but to, to make them feel like real people, you know? So many movies that we have seen on this list do not feel like they are real humans. You know, this is one of the few that was makes complex and interesting characters. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was it was it was it was very, very interesting. It was interesting actually just seeing it like actually actually seeing it. I the thing that surprised me, the thing that for some reason nobody had told me about is uh, that one that one electrocution scene. Holy oh God! That's oh, holy oh gosh! My. That was yeah. that was that was that was brutal. <laughs> that was like oh my God! I was not expecting it to be that graphic. <laughs> I was, yeah, I, it's it does not pull that punch, and that is one of the most effective things it does uh, as a as a movie. By the way, Doug Hutchinson at the age of fifty one married Courtney Strauden, a sixteen year yeah, old singer. Oh, there you go, sixteen. Yeah, I, I told you she was young, real young. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And everybody was all grossed out. And you know what's you know what should gross people out more so than that that the guy actually did it. Uh, that's legal in a lot of states as long as the parents sign off on it. Yeah. Perf- can we just pump the brakes and also acknowledge that that is a good solid thing to point out, sir. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, like, he, he did not get in trouble for that in the slightest. Like, societally, we might go, ew, but legally, he was in the clear. Like, he, he got that signed off. And they met earlier when she attended an acting class taught by him. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just a lot wrong there. Mm-hmm. Just a lot wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, well, good stuff. Um, so where does this fall into the patented King Tier list? Man, I'm having a hard time. So uh, let me take a look at the list here. So we've got our top five before we add this to the list is Misery, Dolores Claiborne, The Shining, the 1980 version, and Shawshank Redemption uh, and Stand By Me. So really the question is we've already kind of established Shawshank Redemption is the better film. So which is better, Stand By Me or Green Mile? I don't know. It definitely, it's definitely- I'm going with Green Mile because Stand By Me pumps the brakes at times and there's a a weird pacing thing going on that I know is intentional because it's about kids wandering around but it's almost like they leaned into it a little bit too heavily and I think this film has the better pacing and the better structure I'll allow it so effectively effectively that would make it fifth on the list yeah it would knock Stand By Me off the top five Are, are you are you in line with that that's I think I would argue if it, if you put it below Pet Cemetery, but anywhere in there, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I could buy it. I mean, you know, do I think it's if if you really like Stand by Me and you really want to argue that point, I'd be like, okay, fair, you know, because like I, I mean, we're splitting hairs at this point. Like, honestly, we really are. We really are at, at, at this point. Looking at our top, um, I mean, honestly, our top eight at this point, it, it is really splitting hairs. Yeah. Yeah. Like Stand By Me, The Green Mile, and Salem's Lot, they were all equally interesting in different ways. You know. What's interesting to me is, is we basically now have... Are you going to fix that typo, by the way? Are, are you going to keep it as The Green Mile? No, I that? already fixed it. I just hadn't hit enter. Oh, okay. Um, it, are, you that, are you that preacher from The Princess Bride? Yeah. <laughs> you should watch The Green Mile. So what's really interesting that I just noticed is we have now... Everything seems to be breaking down into three distinct categories. There's basically excellent, strange and charming, but mediocre. And then there's just plain bad. And like first through seventh are really good. Mm-hmm. And that takes us from Misery all the way down to Salem's Lot TV miniseries. And even maybe somewhat Pet Cemetery, I would include that. Then yeah, Pet Cemetery is uh, Pet Cemetery is a good bridge between the really good and the kind really of like is. and the quirky, <laughs> the quirky yeah. and interesting, but then, not great. Then we go to Pet Cemetery, Dead Zone, Needful Things, Shining TV series, uh, Silver Bullet, Apt Pupil, Dark Half, and then it, it, Christine's an, another bridge. Christine and, and the running, to, running Man are kind of a bridge. Yeah, R- Running Man is when things really start to go desperately wrong, and then we get into Firestarter, Cujo, Lawnmower Man carry thinner categories so it all falls apart rather abruptly yeah yeah but i'm, I'm comfortable putting it in in the top five it, it was an excellent film yeah yeah no i'm I, yeah i'm down i'm down again i'm i i the the top the top whatever i, I i'm still very sad the firestarters in the bottom five i don't think it deserves to be in the bottom five but i i, I will be very happy it certainly doesn't deserve to be higher than it is right now I, I i completely agree i'm just saying out of all of the stephen king movies it i i just don't like it being that low because it's not a it's just boring it's not particularly bad 
Um, yeah, but pacing is an important aspect of filmmaking. I, I know. And I, I, I'm just saying, when the day comes, when it gets bumped out of the bottom five, I, that will be a happy day for me. That's the one that actually hurts more than anything going on up top. Which, which of course, leads us to the next question of um, wh- who is the next contender that might knock it out? Next up, we have 2001 Epic, uh, kind of going back to the same well as uh, Apt Pupil. We have Hearts in Atlantis. Another Stephen King movie about an old guy hanging out with a young guy and shenanigans ensue. So we will see how that one turns out. Okay, now now it's my turn. I have not seen this film. Neither have I. And I've been Ooh. sitting I've been sitting on the DVD for weeks, Jonathan, for weeks. It's been it's been frustrating. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's on me. Yeah, I'm almost at the point, Jonathan. I'm going to have to take it back to renew it just to make sure I still so they can verify that I haven't lost it. No, no, we can watch it now. (laughs) So what year was Hearts in Atlantis? 2001. All right. So we get a little we're we're jumping into this century. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Not to say that there weren't Stephen King films between there, but they were sequels and stuff. There wasn't. I I think Pet Cemetery 2 or something came out in there, but we're not watching that. It did. We're not no. watching that. No. No. <laughs> I don't want to watch that. That sounds terrible. Actually, no, there weren't any movies in between there. The year 2000 was, was King Free. That's bizarre. TV too. There's nothing. Nothing that whole year. That's surreal in and of itself. Yeah, 99, we had Storm of the Century, the miniseries, and then we didn't get another King miniseries until 2002's Rose Red. That's weird. That's crazy. Hmm. How does somebody that prolific manage to go an entire year without I don't know. releasing a film based on their work? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe something scared them off. Like the Night Flyer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that, it, that brings us to the end of A King at All Things, which means it's time for us to hook on our Wayback Machine and take a look at what was going on a year ago. Oh, my God. I haven't updated this since the last time we almost recorded. But uh, I think we got more episodes. But I'm not going to do it right now. Uh, Forgot My Dice, episode 116, Pleasantly Dark, and FMD 117, Wide World of Horse Genetics. Uh, We did Cryptid and Descent, Legends of the Dark, presented by Ray. I think that was the last time Ray was on the podcast. God, has it been that long? Maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Miss you, Ray. Our our release schedule has been all over the place. Yeah, life has not been kind as of late. Yeah, and I, I actually recorded a, a short mini-isode to release, and then, like, every time I sat down to work, I, uh, my cat's been sick, and I've had car stuff, and it's just been, life's been just a little annoying lately. <laughs> yeah, it's been the same. Uh, we finished up all the kids being in sports, and then immediately had a bunch of school stuff to do, and then we got into the holidays, and yeah, man, it's been a thing. And now Carlos's high school soccer starting up. So that did like, thankfully we're not doing any other sports with the other kids. So at least it's not terrible. So let's see, what do we talk about in one Let's see what's in the old cloud of tags. Um, da, 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 da. Come on, camel up, chroma squad, chroma squad. That was a fun film or fun game. Uh, Oh, we're still playing impossible landscapes. I'm surprised. Da, 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 Stranger Things, Ted Lasso, The Dead Zone. Oh, The Dead Zone. Anything we're talking about in 117 besides Ray? Hi, Ray. Besides Ray, um, I mean, Descent, which continues to be awesome. Like what? Oh, we watched Christine with him. That's right. I remember that. 
Mm. Mm. Not a great film. Not as bad as some of the others. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did the Cobalt's Guide to Game Mastering. I was playing Metroid Dread. Wow, that was that was a while ago. Uh, Man, I, I'm excited about the the first expansion for Descent, but I haven't seen it out in the wild yet. Have you? No, although I haven't walked into a game store in a long, long time. Oh, that's the one where uh, the Wide World of Horse Genetics isn't that the one where I taught you about uh, like like uh, like mules and hitties and all that and and how? Yes. God, yeah. I can't believe it's been a year since that. It feels like yesterday. Yeah, and you were just like shocked and amazed that that's how horse genetics worked. You know, it's uh, hashtag things you don't think of regularly. I don't know what else to say. I don't know. What it's else a weird say. one. It's a weird one. Good times. Good times. Place out. Oh, so we're not doing a review, are we? Because you didn't. You you've been busy. Uh, no, not today. No review today. Okay. Well, I think I think that's it then, Jonathan. Place out. We're done. Wow, that's weird. I was not prepared for that. Well, isn't it just like, yeah, Wayback Machine? Yeah, yeah. uh uh All right. Well, so that, unfortunately, uh, brings us... Well, no, I'm not going to say unfortunately. I'm sad that this episode's over, Robert, but you know what I'm not sad about? The fact that we finally got to record an episode again. That I'm stoked about. It's been way too long, bud. I miss you. Oh. Oh. That's nice. I miss recording. I miss, like... Our normal, our normal thing. I'm we've very glad. Though, to, we, we, we played some nice. Oh no, we've talked. Is. We played some Ghostbusters. We've done things. It's it's just. I mean, like I talk to you almost every day. In fact, I, I would say I talk to you almost as much as I talk to my wife, which is a good thing. I'm not saying that in a bad way. So that, fortunately, brings us to the end of episode 135 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you. Discord being the the primary these days, and uh, Robert. Any final thoughts? You know, I, I I kind of forgot this was the end too, so I hadn't I hadn't been prepping any final thoughts because I usually have another segment to think about it. We will have a deep dive next time. I've I've got two games almost completely ready to go. I just I want to get one or two more plays through just to understand whether or not I'm understanding something correctly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got well, I've got three that are in in the in the prep list right now. One of which is just now getting started. I've got Sea of Legends which is a pirate game, and that's awesome. And Trudvang Legends, which is uh, um, a storytelling game that takes place in a very uh, Nordic kind of mythology. And then finally, we've got the Jurassic Park... What the hell is it called? Uh, Jurassic Park, The Legend of Isla Nubar, which is their um, campaign game. Nice. Uh, Like, uh, what is it? Pandemic uh, Legacy. Their legacy-style campaign game. Nice. So fun. I'm, yeah. I just so, realized that it gets really hot in this corner where I record because I'm right over a heating vent, and so I turn on the fan during the break, and I forgot to turn it off until just now. So you're welcome. There you go. That was there that was go. not that was a happy little accident. That was some ASMR for me to you. That's my final thought. Yeah, we're gonna go down to that ASMR. We're just gonna talk real, real close. I don't even know how to do ASMR. I haven't listened to it. It doesn't work on me, so I haven't really paid attention. Now, you know, I'm just going to roll with it. I'm just going to keep doing it, baby. I'm just going to keep talking about the ASMR. Hey, Jonathan, is there anything else? Hey, you Robert. Do? do you want to thank our, our listeners or do anything like that? Or are we good? Are you good, man? I would like to thank all of our listeners for all of their rapt attention during the podcast. Oh, and putting up with our, our extended absence. Indeed. Indeed. It was mm-hmm. not planned, 
and not loved, but we're happy to be back and put it behind us. So is, uh, is doing ASMR just pretending that you're from NPR, but taking some downers on top of it? So you're just real, real mellow. It is. It is. It's uh, mm. NPR Quaaludes. Oh, that was a fun waveform. Hold on. Let me do that again. Mm. Mm. That was good. That was good. Simul- simultaneous mms. Mm. Synchronized mms. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. I like Let's it. do this. Let's do this. Three, two, one. Mm. Yeah. It's the good stuff. Yeah, it's the good stuff indeed. <laughs> Are either getting simultaneously turned off of every radio in America or somebody's driving around with three gear shifts. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. It's, there really is no in between at this point. You know, God bless both of those scenarios. <laughs> Just go with it. I can't believe I'm not I gonna judge my, you on either. I can't believe I held that for that long. Oh that was that was good. That was good. That was good. Um <laughs> What'd you do today, honey? I heard you're recording the podcast. Well, <laughs> let me tell you, there was a lot of mmms. <laughs> <laughs> what, like The Witcher? No. Fuck. <laughs> 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 no, baby, we're talking mmms, not mmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this 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 is this is more uh it's more OnlyFans than it was uh, Netflix. <laughs> That's what we should do. We should open up the OnlyFans edition of the podcast. <laughs> where the only the only difference is we just recite the thing we said, but we just do it in this voice, baby. I mean, look, there's crazier ways to make money. I'm down. Let's do this. <laughs> That's right. Our our OnlyFans, you 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 sponsor. You sponsor us, and then we read whatever you want in whatever voice you no, want. No, 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 I do not read anything you want. I just read what we said. On, we just take a transcript of the podcast, and we reenact it, but with ASMR. <laughs> I, I say we just start going to CNN and, and reading headlines just there you as go. sexy as possible. Slow cognitive decline with flavanols, study says. Eating more flavanols, antioxidants found in many vegetables, fruits, tea, and wine, may slow your rate of memory loss, a new study finds. Mm. Anyway, good stuff. Uh, Oh, I got one here from the IGN. Oh, God, we're just not letting this drop. Developer Offworld Industries has announced Starship Troopers Extermination. An upcoming 12-player PvE first-person shooter for PC that's inspired by the cult classic 1997 sci-fi film. Mm. Alright, John, let these people come. Yeah, we're just it's getting weirder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're I think we're creepy now. Yeah, that's it's it's official. We've 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 gone full 16-year-old bride. Why why? <laughs> That would be an that would be a question you would need to ask Doug, okay? I can't answer the why. I I I will remind everybody in the audience. I'm done. You need to play me out after this. But I I, I want to remind everybody of a quote from Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country, talked by the very wise president of the United Federation of Planets at the uh, at the Cap Kinnebar Accords. 
the president says, just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you must do that thing. Just saying, when it comes to when it comes to preteen pre pre adult brides, that's that's the way to go. Just just putting it out there, putting it out there. Place out, Jonathan. Stick a fork in me. I'm done. Was that translated from the original Klingon? No, that was not Shakespeare. Oh, okay. Just just che- just checking because I'm. I'm you know, I love me some Star Trek Six. I, I can quote that all day long. I'm eat. I'm gonna eat my dinner. Let me go. Can you see me, Kirk? Oh, now be honest, Captain Warrior to Warrior. You do prefer it this way, don't you? As it was meant to be. No, no peace, peace in our, in our time. time. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. I'd God, see. General Chang was such a baller. I no, love no, it. no, 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 no. McCoy coming back with a zinger. I'd pay real money if he'd shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Man, now I gotta watch Star Trek Six. There's some snappy writing in that that script. Some legit good snappy writing. Well, yeah. Okay, we are way off topic. Don't we are. Me, we are. But now we're here, so we're gonna dunk. No, no, no. Don't get me started on Star Trek Six. Why don't we watch it? We'll talk about it next time. I'll watch it again. That's my favorite Trek movie. I love Star Trek Six. I think it's totally underrated. I think it's 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 the best uh, examination of Cold War politics I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, I'll go out on a limb. It's the best movie with the original cast. It's better than Khan. Well, they did a fire themselves, and there's no ships present. I can do this all day. I love that movie. An ancestor of mine maintained that once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however unlikely, must be the truth. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite comes in the first 30 seconds, though. Shields! Shields! Oh my. Alright, oh jo- no, no, we're done, we're done. I'm eating my, I'm eating my dinner. I'm Fire eating my dinner. apart then! <laughs> I ate my dinner. I'm hungry. I didn't get to I eat because I was getting my car. so wanted to meet you, Captain. God, General Chang. We need more Klingons like General Chang. We really do. Alright, that's all. I'm done. That brings us to the end of our episode, which means there's only one last thing to do, and that is, of course, Robert, to be excellent to one another. And party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. 